It's the Craggy Rugby Podcast. I'm Rob Murphy. A special episode for you, Andy Friend, mid-off season, I'm calling it, joining us from Australia for a chat about the season gone and the season to come. Joining me to co-host today's show is Lindley McKenzie. Hi, Lindley. Hi, how are you doing? And good morning, Andy. Or sorry, I should say good evening, Andy. Yeah, good evening or good morning to you guys. How are you? Andy, you're you're joining our podcast for a nice relaxed chat. It's we've picked the perfect time because you really haven't a whole lot else to do right now. No, we're um, we're a little bit confined, Rob. Where uh, this is day eleven of our fourteen day uh, quarantine, um, but at seven o'clock, so in an hour's time, uh, we have only two and a half days left. Not that we're counting, <laughs> uh, but that'll get us to 30, 36 hours. So we're getting close. Do you know, it's a bit, it's a bit, I hope it's not too heavy to start, but what do you think is it about the importance of, like you've been away a lot in your life, but the importance of home that forces you or makes you do something like this, you know, that, that like, makes it like almost a necessity to just go through this because you need to get home for a little while. Yeah, well, uh, listen, I, I think the most important thing in our lives is our family. Um, and I haven't been home to see, a lot of my family, I, you know, we've been fortunate to have our two boys over um, to see us last year, last Feb or January, um, Kerry's birthday. They came across for that. So that was fantastic. But that's uh, that's now 14 months ago, 15 months ago, um, actually maybe even 16 months ago for doing a mass right. Um, but my parents, I haven't seen them for, for, uh, for three years. Uh, my brothers, mates, Kerry's mum and dad and her sisters, we haven't seen them for, for three years. So... Uh, it was something we were planning on doing last last um, off season, but uh, as we all know, the world shut down, so we couldn't do that. And then when um, I had my chat with Willie Ruan this year around staying on at Connet, uh, which you know, as I said to him, Willie, I love it here, but I, I I'm not going, I'm not prepared to stay unless I can go home and see the family. And uh, and he was great. He just said, well, how much time do you want? I said, well. Like we get four weeks holiday, so I'd like to have four weeks with them, but I don't want to do two weeks of quarantine here and two weeks of quarantine back in Ireland. So that's my four weeks. So I said, if you don't mind, mate, I don't know what the world's going to be doing at the time when we travel, but if I can have four weeks with my family, that's all I ask for. And he said, it's yours. So, uh, yeah, we're now sitting in in, uh, in lockdown. The good news is when we come back to Ireland, we won't have to be doing that because both Kerry and I are vaccinated now and, we will be coming home via a route that doesn't, uh, at the moment anyways, on the green, that they're all on the green list. So we should be fine coming back. Well, judging by the backdrop, Andy, of where you're sitting, you couldn't pick a better place to be in quarantine, could you? And for the listeners out there, he's sitting with this beautiful blue sky, the sea and a palm tree waving with the, with the slight breeze. It's amazing what Zoom can do, isn't it? Um, and this, this is something we've all learned over the last uh, last eighteen months is how to play with your backdrop. Um, is I can that promise you, you didn't want to, this... tidy, to tidy the room, Andy? Is it, it was as simple as that, was it? <laughs> the room's actually very tidy. Um, it's, it's probably more to protect Kerry sitting sitting behind me in the water at the moment. <laughs> um, no, so what you're seeing there, uh, Lindley's hardly what we're looking at, but. Um, uh, listen, we, we, we've been very fortunate. We've got ourselves a um, we've got ourselves a room with a balcony, uh, and that was the one thing that was 
I was dreading, I was dreading getting a room that didn't have an open window. And I've had, a, I know a few people who come home and had the 14 day lockup without that. I mean, the one thing in, in Australia, we, we both have, we had Abraham Papali and Jared Butler go and do their quarantine in New Zealand, but very different there. You can actually get out and they allow you out between eight and five in the morning, uh, eight and five in the, through the day, sorry, eight in the morning till five in the afternoon. And they've got a little, depends on the hotel you're at, but you've got a little patch, but here in Australia, you are not allowed out of, out of your room. You get a knock on the door. You're meant to wait a minute or two minutes, they say, but it's only a minute until you can open that door. You're not allowed to see anybody. Um, and you get your, and that's your food drop um, three times a day. Uh, and yeah, otherwise you're just, you're just here, just on your lonesome. But the good news for us is both Kez and I get on well, so we haven't killed each other yet. We're still here. <laughs> you got the bike on the balcony I, I was actually I've never been to Australia myself and I think I was just blown away by the it's Brisbane you're in isn't it and the skyline looks looks fantastic beautiful yeah no we uh, we haven't had every day hasn't been like that Rob I will admit but we've had uh like today was another stunner yesterday was a mm. stunner we've had a couple of rainy days but it just reminds you of um of, of probably how uh, different the climates are and this is winter here but the winter here is uh it's probably as warm, if not warmer, than, than the Galway summer at the minute. You could probably predict this, but I'm going to circle back to this a little bit later because I want to know what you've been watching on Netflix and uh, what books you've been reading. But we'll get to that in a while, right? So let's let's get stuck back into the rugby because our listeners will be like, come on, ask them about where things stand. Like, let's start with just a kind of a general, like, I feel overall, somehow, by hook or by crook, with a few stumbles along the way, Connacht ended up in a good place at the end of the year. What would you say to that? Yeah, I think we did. Um, you know, it's been funny because I've um, been talking to a few mates back here and they've kept tabs of our of our progress. And they said, you must be happy, friendly. I said, well, I am actually happy because one, um, it was, it's was it been the most bizarre year I've ever been involved in. And I was asked actually um, on, on the Galway Bay FM uh, season wrap-up with, um, with William and, and Jerry and George you know, why was I worried about the inconsistencies? And I said, well, I'm actually not. It's frustrating the inconsistencies, but but to me, rugby is a microcosm of, of life and what's going on. And, and and our whole world in the last 18 months has been inconsistent. You, you don't know from day one to day two what's happening and, and all the session plans and all the, you know, the training plans that you may have mapped out can change in a heartbeat. So it didn't surprise me at all that on a few occasions you saw a performance that just like where the hell did that come from um and and on other occasions you saw that from other teams too uh you know you look at the the, the number of um away wins by all teams this year was just incredible because every team was going through that so for me i think the great success of this year was we got through it with no um no games of ours being cancelled no, no games of our being ours being postponed no one in our in our close community Yes, we had some COVID cases, but no one got very, very ill with that. Um, and we managed to, to, at the end of the day, we managed to, to beat the three big provinces away from home, which was great. Um, I thought we had, you know, that was a, a brilliant record for us or a brilliant, brilliant milestone to achieve. Um, and at the same time, we, we continue to blood a lot of our young players and keep the majority of our players together for next year. So to me, it was a year just to get through, um, which we've done. I think we've done some good things in there. We've had some frustrating performances, but I reckon we're ready to launch into a, a pretty special two years coming up. Do you know, I follow it 
a lot of sports around the world, Andy, and like I, I watch, you know, things like American sports where they're playing 80 game seasons, or if you want to talk baseball, 160 game season. I mean, I'd say that's mind boggling to you because, you know, like the ups and downs that must happen in that, like, you know, in this point in time here, we're in, we're in July, you can stop and go, would you like to tell yourself in the winter would you like to speak to December Andy friend and say don't worry about this defeat like do you find yourself reflecting back and going why was I getting so worked up about that loss at that point in time because the bigger picture is always what ultimately matters yeah I do um yeah and and, and again I, I I know some of the uh some of the, the games that we had this year we that was actually a review from the players back to us you know we we got really cranky on the performances where we weren't good enough and we probably over-celebrated some of the performances that um, that we did win. Um, but I think, again, that's just a reflection of what we were living through. Everyone was living living through these, these times. It was like, well, you know, if something good happens, you're going you're gonna to go, yoo-hoo, that's brilliant. Because you, you haven't had much joy throughout the course of the week because you haven't been able to do anything. And similarly, when you, when you have a performance that, probably wasn't as good as you wanted it to be, you probably over, I, I definitely overreacted to some of those because of the frustration of everything else that was going on. So, yeah, I think it's been a, at the same time, I, I will also say um, I'm normally not one to get too overexcited or too over cranky, but I suppose from what the players had seen in the previous two years, I was probably over, uh, over-exaggerated on both ends um, this, this last season. Uh, one more question specifically about last season is just, you know, if you told me what the shape of the team would look like at the end of the year from what it, it started, I don't think I remember a season that that has thrown up so many interesting narratives. Like, you know, Shane Delahunt's consistent performances throughout the year, Niall Murray's emergence, Keen Prendergast's emergence, uh, Jared Butler, or I'm going into Paul Boyle making the Irish team. And then you get into that back line and specifically Tom Daly, you know, becoming this like fulcrum of everything Connacht were trying to do and then becoming the international squad member that he now is. Is that the reflection that you would have on it as well? It just, I, I don't know if you could, you yourself, and I'm wondering if you as a management team could possibly have predicted what your first choice 15 would be by the end of the year. No, I, I don't think we could have. And in fact, when you go back through the teams, um, you know, which, which we keep and uh, you know, every now and then I flick back through them, I think, wow, how different the team we're putting out you know, in, in the second last game of the season to the one that we put out in the second game of the season. So, yeah, we, ha- we had the emergence of, um, of some really talented youngsters coming through, some of them you've mentioned there. Um, and we've also had the drop-off of other players who have been pretty much household names over the course of the last uh, few seasons, you know, and a lot of that through injury, um, or some of that through injury, um, some of it just through form and but yeah, there's been a, a real emergence of new talent um, and, and, and probably a drop off of, of some of the older blokes. Andy, when you look at that season, not just the performances on the field and the frustrations that you might have, but but overall, how was the, I'm, I'm kind of interested in the mental health and how, I mean, like, I get a bit frustrated during COVID, you know, and I'm sure, and I'm sure my family, you know, are the ones who take the brunt of it. I'm just wondering about how that was all, how that was all managed. And were there any particular episodes that, you know, you could put down to COVID, this frustration with players, or maybe, you know, the mental health of them, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think on the whole, we were pretty good with that, Lindley. I think, um, you know, we, we, we have Aidan O'Flynn, who does an, an amazing job behind the scenes. Uh, and I know he was in touch with, with a fair few members of, of the playing squad and staff. 
during the course of the year. We had Jack Burt whistle come in this year, not necessarily in the mental health um, or mental well-being area, but he um, he was definitely there as a as a support around the the mental out of the, the mental skills, I suppose, or the performance skills is his area, but to support, but it would definitely lean into that area of the of the, of the well-being stuff. And Deirdre Lyons, who also works with Rugby Players Island, so we've got a, a neat little support group around us. Um, I will say, yeah, there were times there where uh, just on different days you could see different people struggling big time with with whatever, whether it was, you know, the, the not being able to to go and see a loved one or the fact that they were a close contact of someone. And, you know, we had a few of those through the course of the year. I think we had in the end, you know, close to 10 people who over the course, throughout the course of the year had, had COVID and others that were close contacts that, you know, had to then, had to then stay away. And that became really tricky. And, and I suppose the stigma of COVID early on was, was not a pleasant one for anybody because everyone's like, what have you done wrong? Well, I've done nothing wrong. I've, I've somehow I've managed to contract this. Um, so as, 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 as time went on, the stigma became less and less. And I think people became more comfortable with the fact that, well, that person's done nothing wrong, but we just hope they're going to be okay. And, and so it stopped it stopped being angst and anger towards a person rather than actually you okay. So I think we all grew as a, as a society around that stuff too. But um, yeah, on the whole, I think we handled it because we had good, we got good people and we got good support networks. I'm not going to say we got everything because I'm sure we didn't, but um, as I said, we didn't lose any games through COVID and, and we've all come out at the other end of it and we're all still tight and, and we're looking forward to next year. Do you think there were any benefits from COVID? I mean, did it make you tighter? Did it produce performances where you all were a, a much tighter group that you really wanted to fight for Connacht more, maybe more so than before? Yeah, there's definitely been. I, you know, I reckon that's one of the great things in life when when you forced with or faced with adversity. How can you how can you find the silver lining? And and uh, it's something I always try and pride myself on. Try and find the good in everything. Um, so what came out of COVID? I know we can survive in anything now. I know we haven't had a team meeting for well for 18 months, 16 months. Let's put it down. Well, because the last team meeting we had was in March when we came back from. Uh, uh, from Port Elizabeth that would have been the last team meeting um, in the previous year so we had no team meetings all those little corridor chats that you have the change room chats which which is what footy is about it's about connection and about checking in with people and making sure people are okay we haven't been able to have those and yet here we are we managed to get through a season um, and find other ways whether it was zoom calls team meeting calls lots of texts lots of phone calls catching up with people outside, catching up with people in different, in different ways. So we've managed to survive all of that, which, which I think is a real compliment to the staff and to the playing group. Um, uh, the messaging of getting messages through around our game preview, what we were trying to do in any given game, and then how we reviewed that. We couldn't do that face-to-face. -face. So being able to deliver those messages on, in many different formats, whether it was uh, via a recording or just on the on the Zoom stuff or putting stuff up on TVs or or uh, putting sheets of paper up. Um, we found ways to get around that. Um, so all of these little things that we, we had to adjust to and, and to try and still deliver a just to do. Some of them, I reckon, will keep some of those things. Um, some of them, we'll throw them out and say, just get us back to what we used to have. Um, and but I think the biggest thing, though, Lindley, the connection, the lack of connection with people, and yeah, I, I'm a big, I'm a big handshaker. I love a handshake. Why? Because 
first thing you do in the morning, you shake someone's hands and you, and you get a, you get a feel straight away as to where that bloke's at. Has he had a good sleep? Has he not had a good sleep? Has he got a sweaty palm? Has he got a strong handshake? Is he looking in the eye? You feel so many things through that, just that touch. And we, we haven't had that touch. Um, so that's been tricky. Um, but we've also as I said, you, 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 we found other ways to manage that. And, uh, and, and some of those will definitely stay on. I'm curious about where you think Connacht are as a, as a province right now. And it, like, it's a huge question, but that's why we're having the chance to chat in the off season, because it's a hard question to ask you during the year. But can I give you a little bit of perspective on where I'm coming from, which is, I always have this thing and it wasn't said in this context, but I took it in this context. When we were walking out of Murrayfield five years ago, Alan, who's our producer today, said to me, it doesn't get any better than this. And he mentioned it in a completely different way. And he's because he's an extremely positive individual, as we all know on this podcast. But like I took it the wrong way, I think, because I've constantly gone back to that in my mind over the last couple of years in particular, you know, and trying to understand, you know, what do we want to get out of the provincial rugby team in, in the West of Ireland? What do rugby people from the West of Ireland want from their provincial rugby team? And what I've kind of found myself realising is there's been multiple moments since that have been fantastic and and that have kind of added to it. And you, you've mentioned a, a, one element of it this year was the three-away into provincial wins. Even without the crowds there, uh, you can throw in the win against Ulster in the Aviva. Now you're at four provin- inter-provincial wins in, in the calendar year or in the season, if you like. Um that perspective, Andy, because I, I don't know if you've noticed how we have been wrestling for an identity that slots into the follow on from a title. Uh, have we found it yet? Do we still have to find it? And possibly does it matter? Yeah, I think it's a it's a great question, Rob. Um, and I'll give you my simple answer on it. Like, oh, I wasn't here for the final um, and I wasn't here for the year after that. And I wasn't here for the following year after that so when I came in at the start of 2018-19 my first year I felt was was to regain was to regain trust in the squad was to was to get confidence back in that squad and to and to say to staff and to players you're okay we're actually okay we've got a we've got good people here we've got a good footy team and we can go and do some stuff so most of my work that year was was built on that the second year was was to be a, a year where we could we could add to that, but we got halfway through it and the season got cut. And then the third year, which would be a year where we'd really now go to a new level, we haven't been able to because we've just been surviving. So I feel like we've wasted a year and a half just through COVID where we've just had to tick the boxes. We've just got to get things done. And what I'm really excited about is this this next two year period, and it's actually the first time in my rugby career, twenty seven years I've been coaching, that I'm heading into a fourth season and to a fifth season. So I've never done that previously. I've always, I've been the coach that's come in normally into a, into a team that's falling apart, fix the thing, adjust a few things, get rid of a whole heap of people, bring a whole heap of new people in, and then I get a I get a an opportunity to to take. Um, oh, sorry, I get an opportunity to go somewhere else, and I go and do that. Um, or I get sacked, which has happened on a couple of occasions. So uh, this is this is a really this is uncharted waters for me. But where I'm at at the moment is exactly that. I reckon what the one area that I'll be critical of myself with, we haven't nailed down our identity. And what is it that when anyone comes to watch us play or plays against us, you walk out of that the sports ground, um, or we leave your home your home dressing room, 
and you go, Jesus, they were boom, boom, boom. And they were fast. So our three words coming up for this new season, we're going to be fast. We're going to be relentless. We're going to be adaptable. They're the three things that's going to be the on-field rugby identity of Connet Rugby. And if we can be that and through everything that we're, the way we train, the way we act around the sports ground, the way we act in the community, the way we act on the football field, we want to be that. And then we'll also present, I'll also present a vision for the for the players as to what this looks like. I was asked a really good question by Willie Ruan just before I signed for the last two years. And he said to me, he said, tell me, Freddie, in two years' time, just say you take this contract in two years' time, you're driving down College Road for the last time. Look over your shoulder, what do you see? What do you want to see? And and so I, I rattled off about four or five things. And he said, great, we'll go and make it happen. And it was a really good way of saying, well, that's the vision then. So I've now got to make that come to life. And I'm not going to share with you what that is today because I'm still actually plowing my way through it. Because, And that's one of the beauties of, of being in quarantine. I've had a lot of time to think about that. Um, but with that on-field identity and then this vision, I actually think uh, if I can be so much clearer with the staff and the players, we can launch to another level again. And that's really exciting for me. That's really exciting. And you know, I, th I think we, we've had a reasonable you know, three years. Um, have we shot the lights out? No, not yet. Can we? I do think we can. I do think we've got the makings of a, of a playing squad and a coaching squad to go and do that. So that's the intention. I feel like we get, uh, I feel like we, within Irish sport, I, I think we do look at ourselves and how we relate to the other teams coming from the GA and stuff. So I think the interprovincials are really important to rugby people in the West. And I think, you know, I, I think I found the reaction of maybe all three provinces when they lost to Connacht, you know, possibly I'm trying to find the right words because, you know, as a journalist, you, you're objectively following the team from a partisan point of view, obviously, because we're, we speak to a, a Connacht audience, but at the same time, you can enjoy a result. And I enjoyed in some ways the frustration of Munster fans and Munster players on the pitch afterwards, because it was, it was nice to see their feathers ruffled, if you like. And, and that's fine. That's part of sport. But I, I just wonder if this new United Rugby Championship format that's going to force Connacht to actually even be better, you know, that's going to set the bar as like, you can't qualify finishing fourth among the Irish provinces anymore. You're going to have to stake the step next level. And, and maybe leaving aside this idea that we're waiting for one of those provincial other provinces to fall back to our level, that we have to get to their level. That's what was so interesting to me this year about the away interprovincial wins. It, you know, home wins are home wins and we've done that for two, three decades every so often. Away wins are rare and we did it three times in the one season. And I think away wins speak to me more about getting up to their level rather than them having bad days coming back. So I guess that's my point. But my question is, how important do you think it is that Connacht are better than one, two, maybe all three of the other provinces on a regular basis? I think it's really important. And I think, um, and I'd agree with you, like we shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't be considering ourselves as, as the fourth province. We're not, we're one of four. And, and our results this year showed us that we can beat Leinster at the RDS and we can beat Munster at, at Thoman and we can beat Ulster up at, up at Ravens Hill. So let's go and do it again. We can do that. And I think, you know, I, I think certainly within the squad, that belief is, is starting to get there. I'm not going to say it's there yet, but it's starting to get there. There's certainly, and again, when I came in, there was certainly an expectation. Or so, not, no, it's not an expectation, but there's a, uh, uh, an attitude sometimes when you lose against a Leinster or Munster and Ulster, well, we probably should be losing. No, 
no, you shouldn't be losing. If, because if you think you are, you're going to lose, right? So it's how do we adjust that? And, and those wins away this year, I think, will stand us in great stead to be able to launch again from that. So, and I think also having the six blokes up in the Irish squad this year, having Bundy away on the British Irish Lions tour, again, just just shows us and and some of the players we've also got got coming in again. We've got Lever Fafita coming in, who's a Tongan international. We've got Mac Hansen coming in, who's also gone and, you know, he's played super rugby and is a quality footballer. We've got, you know, the, the growth of all these young fellas, another year under their belt where they're starting to believe things, you know, the likes of a Niall Murray and, and a Keen Prendergast and a Geordie Duggan and these these young fellas coming through, which you know, they've got no fear, those blokes, which is what you want. They don't give a stuff about anybody. It's exactly what you want. We're pulling on the Connor jersey. We can go and beat anyone. Good. Well, let's go and do it. So I think with this identity um, and with us, we've got a new coaching team, as we, as we know about too. Um, I just think that, you know it's right for us to go to another level. But to your point, Rob, we've got to believe it internally. We've got to believe that we're not just a fourth province and, and those wins weren't just flukes. They're things that if we play our best, we can knock them off. And that's what we want to be. Andy, when you talk about you, you, you don't want to share that vision, is that a vision that has changed over time since you've been here? Or was it a vision that you had when you first came here? It's it's a vision that, um, and again, this is the area where I get cranky with myself, Lindley. It's a vision that it hasn't, it probably hasn't changed, but I just I wasn't good enough to verbalise it, and I just had the expectation. Well, watch watch what I do, and that's the vision, if that makes sense to you. So, um, not, and I don't sound, I don't want to sound conceited in that way at all. But I think there's a certain way to live and a certain way to do things. And, and if you do it that way and you are, I'll use the word respectful, if you are respectful, um, then uh, yet competitive, um, then you'll earn people's respect and you'll be a team that and, and, and an individual that people want to follow and that people believe in and, and want to get behind. So, but I, I certainly wasn't, I haven't, I haven't verbalized that. And I sit there and I go, well, why, why wouldn't I verbalize that? And it's like, I don't know, to be honest with you, because there's probably so many other things I was trying to fix and get sorted. But I have a vision. It's not going to be long-winded, I promise you. It's not going to be, a, we want to go and do that. It's not that at all. It's just going to be a, a couple of really simple words around around the way we behave. Because to me, um, it's our behaviours, uh, which is what's going to make us, our identity and our behaviours on how we achieve those things on a daily basis. It's going to, it's going to be the next thing that launches us forward into into hopefully another title which you know you good folk experienced back in the in 2015 16. so is it when when you, when you talk about the vision is it is it a vision for your coaching era or is it a vision that you hope will continue beyond that something that will be put in place permanently in the mentality think, of Kant? yeah well I it, it, it's there's probably twofold to that so it, I, I definitely have to believe in it um, but i also think this is one of the great things where I felt there was synergy as soon as I met with Willie Rowan and the board around when I was first appointed. Um, I just felt there was great synergy. And, and as we know, like Connaught has three very strong values anyway, um, ambition, belief, and community. And, and very rare do you actually come into an organization and those those values are laid out for you. You've often got to try and find those, but the Connaught's are very strong and they're not just words written on a wall. You know, I think Connaught has enormous ambition. Um, it, it wants to be a province that uh, that fights on its own. Um, we want to build that stadium. 
it has belief. So we, we do believe that we belong in, in Pro 14 and now in the, in the URC that was called Rugby United Rugby Championship. Um, and we believe, on, we believe that we're, we're, we're the worthy of, of any opposition. We can take any of them on. Uh, and the community, I think there's an, a tremendous tie with our community. You know, I just, I feel that's a really special part of Connet Rugby. So those three words, they're, they're living and they're alive and kicking um, already within Connet Rugby. But, which is probably a reason why I didn't then come charge and say, well, I also want us to be this because I felt, well, you know, there's enough, there's enough stuff around values. It's already here. But um, as I've learned over the last three years I needed to be a little bit more um, succinct and precise on on what I think is right because as Willie says the end of the day friend is your team which it is it's I'm I'm, I'm the head coach here it's not my team it's our team but as the head coach I need to provide a very clear identity and vision which is uh, which which is something that um, we will be doing and I said I think it's it's something really simple that can give players and staff a lot more clarity on how to be the best version of, of themselves on a daily basis. And if we all do that, well, the sky's the limit. We can do whatever we want to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested, Andy, in uh, just a specific about, just links in a couple of things we were talking about. Okay, so one, you mentioned Jordan Duggan and Niall Murray and the way these lads are settling in. And one of the things I noticed during the course of the season is the identity of the team could quickly change with the makeup of the players on the field, which must be an exciting thing from your perspective. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, we were really interested in how well we did away from home I'm curious within this question, whether you feel that some of those away trips back and forth in the day helped forge an identity among the squad and helped the team bond in a quick way and help some of these younger players settle in very quickly and maybe just speak to how Connacht are evolving and maybe not necessarily needing certain characters to perform. Yeah, I think, um, well, I think that that youth that's coming through, as I said, it's fearless, you know. And and uh, and what we saw with with some of those young blokes, the Duggins and the and the Prendergast and the Murrays coming through, Noel Murray's coming through, is um, uh, no one had heard about them, but they, they just threw themselves into everything, and it, it makes then the blokes who they're replacing or who they've taken their spot, you know, the likes of a of a Dennis Buckley, for example, or a, an Alton or a Gav or a Quinn makes them as more senior players look at that and go, Jesus, we got to start to actually pull our finger out here because these young bucks are coming through. So there was that part of it. So that internal competition, I honestly feel at the moment we have tremendous internal competition and we could pick two 15s at the moment. They'd be, they'd be pretty similar. They'd be pretty similar. So that's, that's one thing that, that adjusts the, uh, the identity of the team. I think the other part of it is, um, which is linked into what we we're talking about before, um, these young blokes actually do believe that we can go and beat anybody because they haven't been around to cop some of the hidings that, that the other blokes have copped. So, um, you know, you, you get this real excitement uh, when it doesn't matter who you're taking on, rasting over in Paris. We can beat them, we can beat them. Yeah, buddy, oath, we can beat them. And we didn't, but we nearly did. Um, but if, you, you know, if you'd if you asked any punter, can Connacht go and beat rasting in Paris? Not a, not a chance, not a snowball's chance, but we nearly did. So, you know, this, this, this belief and this confidence that's there, and this is probably my only other fear, is that um, the longer you stay at Connacht, does that get washed away? I hope it doesn't. And, in fact, 
I think it's really important that we don't because what we're trying to then remove is if, if we do have those non-believers, they get washed away. It's not the young blokes whose belief gets washed away. It's the non-believers. They get moved out and we keep bringing this, this young, exciting, you know, the, the spunky player, I'll call him, coming through that believes they can do it. And then linked into that, you know, as I said, we've, we've got a coaching group coming through that um, not too dissimilar the way we bring players through. Two very good young academy coaches in, in Cully Tucker and, and Mossy Lawler coming through. We've got Diewald Senegal coming from France. Those three men only want to, you know, they're only here to be winners. And I'm not saying that the, 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 the current coaching staff, the coach staff has been there, didn't want to win that. We, we all wanted to win, but I just feel that we've just got this new group coming through and then Pete Wilkins come in and do a senior role, which I, I think he's a he's an incredible coach, Pete. And I think given that, uh, that new space for him to develop, he's only going to blossom and, and we're going to see some really good things coming out of him too. Just one thing, I want to circle back on the coaching team. I, I know Lindley wanted to chat about that as well, but just I was interested in something we've been talking about lately uh, has been the, the sports ground facilities. And I'm just, you know, it does feel like we're slightly stalled, obviously COVID related. Maybe that turns out to be a good thing in terms of at least it hadn't started. So we weren't caught in, in a trap there. But you know, I, I, Alex Wooden was in the Irish Independent and in a really interesting interview during the course of the season, he mentioned in, in a kind of a discussion about adversity that they had to tog out in a, in a tent, basically, and, and the conditions and stuff. But I felt when I read it, I kind of winced because it just took me back to the early noughties when Connick just really were losing out in terms of players not coming west and stuff because they felt the facilities weren't great. But how important is it that Connick catch up if they have to catch up? facilities wise so you're not training across town so you're training in the same spot all that kind of stuff and how anxious are you about that reality oh i think it, it's a must and it, and it will happen um I, i'm really anxious to get it happening but i'm also very conscious of the world that we're currently living living in and, and i know it was ready to go like should be happening sod should be turning now but they're not because of you know what's just transpired over the course of the last 16 months so um that's not Connaught rugby's fault that's what's happened in the world but I do know the appetite and the desire go back to that ambition and belief it's still there we we know we need that um and I think everyone from a coaching player point of view they understand that yes we would have loved it to have happened yesterday and we'd love to have the facilities that some of the other provinces and other teams have but we don't but as I keep saying to people too we're living through again I think every year of Connaught rugby has been fascinating but this one is fascinating in its own little way and that, you know, I reckon in 10, 15 years time, we'll look back and go, wow, did we actually achieve those results out of what we had there? And the answer is yes. But we did that knowing that um, that's giving hope and belief to the young kind of players wanting to come through and it's giving hope and belief to the, to the public to come and support us. Uh, and we had to fight really, really hard to get what we got. And now look at it. Now look at, you know, I said when I'm driving down the road, college road, looking over my shoulder, I said, Woody, I'd love to see a, I'd love to see the stadium finish. Now it won't be in two years. I know it won't be in two years, but there'll be there'll be elements of it that are going. Um, and then maybe come back in 10 years and have a look at it and go, cool. Some of that stuff that we actually went through has allowed this to happen. And that, and that's 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 pretty powerful. That's pretty that's pretty special stuff. So it, it's listen, we let's be honest with you, it's, it's not ideal, but can we make do with it? Yes, we can. And can we can we make it work? Yes, we can. Do we want it to change? One hundred percent, we do, and it will change because we have a 
a board and a and a and a, a CEO that is is busting to make that change. But uh, in in due course, when when COVID settles, it will happen. And you talked about you know these the young players coming in and they're fearless, and they you know, they have a different mentality, they want to win. But how is that shaped by Connett actually winning a trophy? I mean, I look back to the, the, the previous year where when Connett did finally win, you know, the, the Pro 12 as it was then. And there seemed to be a much more willingness of players to, from outside to come in to play for Connett to attract those players. We're now a winning team. You know, that's still in situ and it's being taken on, but how much important is for you for that to continue? You know, if, if we don't want a trophy soon, how will that continue shape Connacht in the future? Yeah, I, winning definitely, um, you know, winning is definitely what you want to be about. You, you want to be winning trophies. Uh, but as we know, since 1885, um, we've won one. So it, it's not like we've been doing it um, you know, every sort of decade we do it. It's interesting. I'm, I'm, um, I know you're going to come to it, Rob, because you said that before the books that I'm reading, but I'm just about to finish uh, the dynasty, the book on New England Patriots. And there was a team that they hadn't won anything either. Um, and then they got onto this winning run when, you know, the likes of a more Robert Kraft bought the company or bought the, or bought the business and, um, and bought in Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. And out of that, you know, they've, where I'm at to at the moment, 2018, they've been to nine of the last 10 AFC championships and they've won four Super Bowls. Like just incredible. And that winning run. But but what's also incredible is the years that they don't win in between there, everyone's write them off because they're mugs. They haven't won. So this whole this whole view of sports writers and sports people who, you know, as soon as you're not winning where you're a mug, that's just life in sport, isn't it? So we all want to be at the top there. But as long as you as long as, and this is where it's really important that you know, as a head coach and as a staff, that we stay strong to what, we, what we're about. And we know we can't win every game. We know we're going to have games that are going to be hugely disappointing. And, and we certainly didn't go out there and try and achieve that. But as long as we can continue to fight hard to stay on task and keep building the squad and keep building our identity and keep building the player to deliver a more consistent performance over the course of a year, then we're in a good spot. Does that equal a, a trophy? I hope so, Lindy. I really do. But as we know, um, they're pretty damn hard to come about. But uh, I just I just want us to continue to deliver performances that every time we come off, we know there's not much more that we could have given out there. And I think if we can be that, I think we're at the stage where if we can be that team and consistently deliver that, well, I think we can go on with another title and, and, and hopefully in the next two years we, we do that. Well, I'm interested in the pathway. I mean, you've got you've you know you've got the elite team, but what about underneath that elite team and Connett? What about the Niall Morays who who want to come up and come into Connett? You know, it, it Connett is obviously you know has a few disabilities in terms of its numbers are playing the numbers of schools that are playing. You know, is that does that need to change or can it be changed? Can it be encouraged? Yeah, there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes to try and try and improve those pathway systems. Uh, Merv Murphy's been employed to, to go in and do pretty much what Cully Tucker was doing, but there's another, there's another position coming now for another talent spotter out there to try and build up the schools um, or continue to support the schools and the clubs around Connacht to try and bring uh, you know, these younger guys through. Um, so again, it's, it, it all takes time, but I can promise you there's, there's enormous work 
uh, going on behind the scenes to try and continue to add support to the pathway systems, both playing and, and for coaches, which are both important. So um, do we see it? Will we see it an immediate effect with that? Well, probably not, but certainly again, if, if we're able to look back in 10 years time and go, okay, I can see where that was going now, but I can hand on my heart. I can tell you that, that, uh, that there is work going on in that area. Um, and it's something that we're very, very aware that unless we have that, um, that homegrown talent coming through, we're not going to survive. And in terms of the new coaching setup, is I mean, you inherited a coaching setup essentially. So is this a coaching setup you would have chosen um, had we had all the money in the world in Connacht? Or is it important that you we do pro- promote from within, or would you have preferred to maybe look elsewhere for coaches apart from apart from obviously um, Senegal? Well, with the coaching group that I inherited, um, I, I love that coaching group. I, I couldn't have been happier with that. I, I thought as a as a four, we worked really really well together. Um, you know, Pete was doing the defence, and I thought uh, he, he had experience in defence before. But I thought on the whole, our defence uh, over the, the course of the last three years worked really, really well. Um, Nige with his attack, probably one of the most flamboyant attacking coaches I've seen out there, gets his message across. Um, I thought he was great in that area. And Jimmy with, with the forwards. And I thought, you know, certainly the first couple of years with our forward pack, I thought was fantastic. We hit a stumbling block this year, but, but you know, Jimmy being Jimmy, built his way out. I managed to get the team out of that at the tail end of the season. So I think the coaching group that I inherited there um, I thought we worked really well together. What became really evident, though, was the structure, the way we'd had it laid out, which was an attack coach, a defence coach, a forwards coach. We became very siloed and um, blokes stuck in their lanes. So, uh, and again, as the head coach, I have to take responsibility for that. So the new structure that we put in place and the new structures come about because, again, for opportunity for Jimmy and for Nige, both have chosen to want to move on, which is great. We support that. But it's allowed us to, to build a new structure. So in answer to the second part of your question, would I have changed? Uh, would I have gone shopping anywhere else? No, I wouldn't have. Um, I, I saw Pete Wilkins as the perfect bloke to step into that senior role. And that senior role is a role now that oversees both attack and defence. And, and actually, it was Pete that shared it with me. He said, Freddie, we'd be one of the only sports in the world where, like, if you look at football, English football, you've got a, you've got a, a coach that looks at the attack and the, the offense and the defense, as it does in American football. But here we have, you know, quite siloed an attack coach and then a defense coach. But there's all this transition that happens in between them. So surely they've got to be interlinked. And we started to look at that model and it made perfect sense to me. Well, Pete, for you to develop as a coach, you can't stay as a defence coach in much longer. So we need now to give you the opportunity to grow as, a, as, a, as an attack coach, an offence coach. So if you can oversee it, offence and defence would be brilliant. And then we get in two very good young coaches, Kali Tucker, to come in and, and do the defence. So under the guidance of Pete, who's, who's had that for the last three seasons or four seasons, but also to add his own flavour to that and be somebody who could support the new forwards coach coming in. And this is an area, again, upon reflection of the old coaching team that we had, Pete Wilkins, Andy Friend, Nigel Carolyn, all backs, you know, we, we couldn't really offer much support to Jimmy. So Jimmy had that forward back pretty much on his own. But now we've got Cully Tucker, who's, you know, ex-hooker, um, a lot of experience in forwards play anyway. He'll be doing the defence, but also be a support for Devolt, Senegal, 
to support him with the with the uh, with the the forward play, and then Mossy Lawler comes in, who's you know a, a, a extremely hardworking, driven young for young skills coach to work on the skills of the players as well as the attack stuff, um, all under the the umbrella and the guise of uh, of Pete Wilkins. So. I'm really excited by it. And then Diavold, you know, I know I just brushed over that, but, you know, there's a bloke who's who's played in France for over a decade. He's coached in France for the last four or five years. Uh, a lot of lot of experience. One of the, the first blokes that was on his resume list was was uh, Heineken Mayer. Now, I know Heineken very well from, from Super Rugby days. Um, and Heineken employed him at Stade Francais. So I rang Heineken and I said, tell me about Diavold. He said, you'll never find a better better forwards coach. And I said, is your mate of yours? He said, no, he's not. He says, not, not a mate, but I didn't know him before I employed him, but he's brilliant, friendly. Why? I said, because we're looking for a forwards coach. He said, it'd be hard to find better, mate. So, you know, great, great support from an ex-Springbok ex, uh, coach and a bloke who's, who's coached um, uh, around the world. So I, I'm really excited by what we've got there. Um, and I just think, again, uh, the timing of it's right to take us to a new level. And I'm curious, a lot of people out, uh, out there listening, I know myself, have management roles in their lives and in their workplaces. Sometimes it might be just, you know, a person coming in that they need to guide, or sometimes it might be a whole staff. Um, and I'm just wondering, what, how would you sum up your management style? And just as a caveat to that, you know, sometimes I find in the management role that you're nearly trying to design something that you could step back from and it'll all work itself. But obviously that's not what happens. Um, so maybe just give us a kind of an idea of what you think philosophically management is to you? Yeah, I think, um, well, uh, listen, I'll also, I'll start by saying, Rob, my role has to change again. So, you know, I, I'm, my role as a, as a head coach is, is, is evolving every year, it, it changes. So um, I think my role heading into this next year is going to be very different to the, to the role I just had. My view on, on management, but I'll call it leadership, because I think it's more leadership than it is management. Um, I, I believe in giving people space to, and, and support for them to be the best they can be. Um, I'm 100% with, comfortable with autonomy. I'm 100% comfortable with, with people um, getting the accolades and the credit for things that they're doing. And, if, and in fact, if I can sit back in the, in the background, and I, I suppose the best term I've ever heard, um, which to me depicts my leadership style I'll call myself the gardener and I'm hands on, I beg your pardon, I'm, I'm eyes on and I'm hands off. So I'm watching everything, but I don't have my hands stuck in the middle of things because if I'm doing that, well, there's no point having the other people there. So um, I, I probably consider myself a gardener where, uh, you know, if that, if that needs a bit of watering, I'll water it. If that needs, that weed needs to be dug out, I'll dig the thing out, but I'm going to sit back and let the garden take over. And and you know let let it grow grow its own way, but I'll also keep it in shape, and I'll make sure that it doesn't get out of control. Um, so th that would probably be the, the best way to describe it. But I'm a I'm a massive believer in in zoning in on people's strengths and allowing them to be the best they can be at that, and and trying to um, I call it with the players. I say one of the first questions I ever ask a player is when I meet them is what's your weapon? And I say what do you mean? What can you be world class at? Geez, I haven't thought of that, friendly. Well, think about it because I want you to be there. And it's the same with the staff. What can you be world-class at? And now let me try and support you in being that because if we're all brilliant at the one thing we're brilliant at, 
we're a pretty special management team, a pretty special team. So how has your management style been adapted or changed over time? I mean, I know, you know, there's all sorts of different types of, you know, management, whether it's people who look at the holistic side, people who are very democratic or autocratic. How has yours changed since you've been in Connaught? It's more my role. I think my management style, Lindley, um, yeah, listen, it's, it's, it's developing and it's maturing, hopefully, and it's growing. But it's probably more my role as the, as the coach that's changing. Um, in, in my first year, uh, I didn't, uh, didn't have an on-field role per se, but I worked pretty closely with Jimmy on the breakdown. Um, and I had a you know, reasonable hands-on role with what we were doing around the breakdown and the way we carried. And, um, similar in, in year two. And in, in this last year, um, I was very heavily involved in the restarts. But, uh, and I was looking... Continuing on with that role, but I, I just, funnily enough, I, I rang Pete Wilkins about two days before we flew out from Galway and said, "Pete, I'm not going to do that this year." He said, "Why not?" And I said, "Well, I actually think you blokes are, are more than capable of doing it, and in fact, uh, to me, I see my role now is is not necessarily on the footy field, blowing the whistle and and yelling at players. I, I see it more as supporting you blokes to be the blokes blowing, sitting on the footy field, blowing whistles and yelling at players." Where I will have some input and some hands-on stuff with the with the rugby team is is it, when we do get into opposed stuff, I'll referee that. So that then allows me to set some standards around being onside, tackle height, you know, simple, two at the breakdown, all the simple stuff that, that would go on. So I'll still have a, a large say in that, but I'm more than comfortable to hand the reins over to the other coaches, good young coaches coming through to let them get their hands dirty and uh, and support them in being the best version for them for, the, for of themselves for the for the team. So my role, uh, my leadership role, hopefully long-winded answer, Lindley, but my, my leadership role, I believe, is forever evolving and changing, and hopefully getting better. But my actual role as a head coach, I think, is going to have a significant adjustment this year because of that. That's fascinating insight. All right, to finish the podcast, I just want to uh, go through a couple of things, uh, a little bit more quick fire, but uh, let's start with this, right? Myself and Lindley disagree on something and Lindley, you can articulate your position uh, clearly. My position on the new United Rugby Championship, uh, Champions Cup qualification is it's a good thing. Connacht are going to be forced to be more competitive. They're going to have to get to a higher level. Uh, it's no harm to shake things up a little bit. And yes, fine, you know, they could finish in the top eight and not qualify for the Champions Cup. That seems unfair. But I think, you know what, let's start challenging ourselves to be, you know, the top province or one of the top provinces and really push ourselves. And it's only for two years anyways. Linda, you disagree with me on that. Well, well, well I, do, I do tend to take the view that... Um, you're, you're cherry picking the top teams from each country so that you have a uniform, you have at least a representative from each country. And I don't think that's necessarily fair for a country such as Ireland, who have actually always, for the last several years, have actually dominated this particular competition. And I think what it's going to mean is that Connacht will probably always be the ones who suffer from this because we're the ones who are looking to attract players from the other provinces to come here to join us. And all I'm saying is if we can finish the top four of the Pro 14 as we did this as we did this season, then, you know, theoretically, democratically, we should be in that competition. Andy, who's right? Lindley. 100% ah. Lindley. <laughs> because... Again, why have a competition when you're not going to pick the top people? You're going to pick it from where you live. And, and you know, I, I was um, fortunate enough 
people may be unfortunate enough to live through Super Rugby, which in, in the end to me was an absolute dog's breakfast because you had to pick someone from Australia, someone from New Zealand, someone from South Africa. Same sort of thing. The Kiwis were always the top five teams. Well, if you're the top five teams, well, you, you fill the top five spots. Australia, we kept getting in a, a team um, because we were the, the best of the worst and it just made no sense. And then they got a home quarter final. So I, I'm dead set against that. I just reckon have a competition and the, the top four teams come from your country will be the top four teams. Brilliant. I, I, I'm, I'm just going to stay defeated on that one. Lindy, uh, where do you sit on the 22-18 games instead of 22, a slightly more focused non-international class weekend? How do you feel about that at the moment? Um, I, I'm a bit ambivalent about it. Um, it depends on how this, this, this season is structured, um, where Europe comes into it. Um, I, I, I have, I'm, I'm a little bit ambivalent about it at the moment. Andy, I'm kind of excited about just a little bit more focus on uh, high-end games and not too many clashes with the internationals. Maybe opens the door for Eagles games. I'm just wondering where you sit on it. Yeah, I'd agree with you, Robert. I think again, one of the one of the things that has been disappointing with the um, with the Pro 14 um, calendar is so many clashes with with Six Nations and, and internationals. So, and actually. Every time Connor have played, we've played a, a, a so-called weaker team because they don't have their internationals. We lose the game because we lose concentration on that. As much as we say we don't want to, we do. Um, so I reckon, listen, um, try and avoid those international windows. Put out your best 15 every weekend. That's what the crowd want to see. That's what we want to see. We want to play against the best. We want to coach against the best. We want to have our best to put out there. So... I actually applaud him for that. I reckon, you know, if, if that happens, that's going to be great. Are you of an opinion? Or have you any strong opinions on the uh, experimental laws that were put in place, Andy, over the last uh, few months? And I, I guess there's been a few. Uh, I, I certainly don't like the idea of goal line dropouts. Let's put it that way. What's your thoughts on that and some of the other things you were trying to introduce in the Rainbow Cup? Yeah, well, actually, the goal line dropout was was one that. Um, well, I was actually more comfortable with, to be honest with you, Rob. Uh, and the main reason was like, again, I, I watch so much rugby now and you get a penalty and you kick to the corner and you, you, you maul the thing over. If you don't maul the thing over and someone holds you up, if the opposition are good enough to, to hold you up, you get a five-meter scrum and you do the whole thing again. So we live in this five-meter world, you know, five meters out from the try line and it's inevitable what's going to happen. You're going to score, but there's probably going to be five, 10, 15 minutes, or maybe not 15 minutes, five, 10 minutes of picking and driving and blokes, you know, three in a tackle and bloody, bloody, blah. And it's like, that's not what rugby's about, in my view. I think there's an element of that. But if the defence are good enough to hold you up, well, you can have the thing 50 metres back there and have another go at it. So I really like that, that, that part of the law. The one bit I didn't like about it, and you saw a couple of teams employing these negative tactics where they were kicking like nothing's on and they're 50 metres out and they launch the thing back into the dead ball line and you tap the thing down and they get it, they're going to get another crack at it now. Like if you kick, in my view, if you were to kick the ball from 30 metres out as an attacking raid and ends up in the in-goal line and it gets tapped down, well, you're going to get the thing 50 metres back, so that's fine. But don't start 50 metres back and then you're going to, if nothing's on, you're going to get the ball back. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but... It does, that, yeah. That was, yeah that the in-goal area that, of that, Murrayfield is very interesting target all of a sudden. Yeah, true, <laughs> true. So that, that one element of, of holding, of being good enough to hold an opposition team up and then trying to open play back up again, I like that. 
because mm. I think, you know, again, you want to see more running rugby. I didn't like the captain's challenge. Um, in my view, uh, you know, we've got, we've got a referee, we've got two ARs and we've got the TMO. Their job is to look at all those things and, and, to, and to work it out themselves. But as soon as you start inviting players who are massively competitive, you get the, the possible negativity around trying to get someone sent off. That's not right. Um, so I, d- I don't like the captain's challenge. I, I think that's, I, I'm pleased that they're going to get rid of that. I believe they're going to get rid of that. Um, what were the other ones, mate? I can't remember the other ones. Yeah, yeah you've got, oh, there was the uh, red card. That was the other big oh, one. On the red was, card. Uh, 10, minutes, <laughs> 10 minutes instead of, was it 20 minutes instead of a uh, full match? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's the only thing I'm seeing at the moment is I just find that the inconsistency with those, it's just incredible. Um, and, uh, and, and there are things such as rugby accidents, right? Rugby accidents do happen. Um, now, we've got to make sure that we're not condoning those. We've got to make sure that we're protecting the players 100% we are. But I think there's a massive difference from a from a, a, an incident where a shoulder hits a player in the head when he's just slipped up or the player's dropped um, or a swinging arm or a stomp or you know something that's really malicious and nasty. That To me, they're very, very different. Um, so uh, I think there just has to be some common sense start to come in that. I watched um, just today, I watched the, the England uh, USA game and I don't know whether you guys saw it, but there was a, a challenge on, um, there was a high ball challenge uh, on the English fullback and um, by USA bloke and Andy Brace, his initial response was that yellow card looks like red card. And then when he watched it again, he went, actually, no, that's just a fair contest. And it didn't look good. Didn't look good from the from the uh, the English fullback's point of view because he landed pretty nastily on his sort of shoulder and and it didn't land on his head, but it didn't look good. But I just thought, good on you, Andy Brace, because that's a rugby collision. Like if we take that thing out of the game, we haven't got a game anymore. You know, we spent we're day eleven here in co in in, in lockdown in, in Australia, so I've been pouring through AFL and pouring through any rugby league that's going on on the telly, and the number of unfortunate accidents when people are trying to take a screamer in AFL and they land on their shoulder. Well, that's just, that's AFL, but you're not going to start to rule that out because, um, you know, because it doesn't look good. I think we do have to protect the player hundred percent, but there are certain things that happen in the game that uh, unfortunately you are going to get injuries. We need to try and protect as best we can, but we can't rule against everything. Brilliant. Well, we're running out of time, so I just want to know what 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 else uh, what what would you recommend reading wise? Uh, you've already mentioned Dynasty. Anything else that's been uh, you've been trolling through in between your watching the AFL? Um, no, that that's that's twenty four hours of listening, uh, and I do it all on Audible books. So ah, um, nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I love my Audible books, uh, so that one's been fascinating um, in terms of TV shows. Uh, we we actually haven't been watching that much, to be honest with you. We've been we've been pretty good. Um, we've actually um, Marcella, is it? I think we got stuck in a Marcella. It's a season three of uh, the Netflix show, so uh, we got stuck into that. Um, but otherwise, mate, no, we're, uh, we're, we're we haven't been doing too much. Lindy, I'm sure you can appreciate uh, the importance of getting home. You'd love to get back to New Zealand for a while yourself. Um, yeah, any final thoughts before we let Andy go? Yeah, just 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 wondering, Andy, you, you know, you're going into your fourth year now. So just very briefly, your biggest high to date, biggest achievement. 
Uh, it would have to be Leinster, the yeah, yes. And the biggest low? Mm. See, this is the thing, then, I tend to get rid of those pretty quickly out of my mind. So I, <laughs> I, um, I really can't remember. I, I know there was a um, Scarlets this year that was frustrating. Yeah, those actually those last two games, the Edinburgh and the Scarlets game, Edinburgh at home and Scarlets away, where it looked like we had nothing to play for, but we did in our own minds. We had a lot to play for, but we we didn't turn up. I didn't think um, anywhere near the level that we needed to. So that was disappointing, um, and probably the only other disappointment. I, I just get disappointed for. I think we got some amazing young footballers coming through, and when they're not getting, when they're not getting noticed the way I think they should be getting noticed, that disappoints me. That really disappoints me. So, great seeing six blokes up in the camp. Um, we had two involved in the 23 on the weekend. Let's hope we get uh, the other four this, this coming weekend. And on that note, I think Bundy's just been selected for the next Lions match. Has he really? Yes. Well, that's great news. I think he's partnering that's Elliot Daly or something. Yeah, I just I just saw it there on Twitter now. So uh, that's good news for, for Connacht as well. That is good. Well, we get the other four blokes uh, in the Irish set up this weekend. That'd be great news too. Andy, listen, enjoy enjoy the break. Uh, for, I'm sure Connacht supporters will be delighted that you get a chance to get some more and uh, and enjoy the, the, hopefully the weather is good to you over there. Uh, we look forward to chatting to you next season. Uh, hopefully it's going to be kind of emerging from the fog. Would you feel that way from what we've gone through over the last 18 months? Oh, definitely, mate. I, I think, you know, it's only up from here. Um, we've been through the darkest days of it and we're coming out. Now, how quickly the light will shine, who knows? But every day is going to get better. Every day is getting better. So, um, again, for everyone's um, patience, perseverance, just to get through what we've been through, um, you'll be able to tell your grandkids because hopefully we don't ever see that thing again. But uh, we're just we're just really thankful that um, well for your support um, uh, the Craggy Podcast and 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 Galway Bay FM and everyone's support just to get us through these last eighteen months has been great but can't wait to see you all back at the sports ground. I'm just thinking, Andy. Even two hundred fans at the sports ground will drown out the subs from the likes of the Scarlets in Edinburgh, so that'd be a start, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, I actually remember the last time we had some sort of a crowd. It was the first game against Glasgow, and mm. uh, there wasn't a lot there, but. It sounded like there was a lot. Um, mm. And it's funny because I'm actually watching old vision of games from uh, a couple of years ago. And, and you just, you forget how quickly um, or how special that, you know, the, the terrace has been packed. You forget how, how special that is. So uh, I can't wait to get that back again. Loose, cut it loose. Break out or nothing changes. Side.